Uh, great to be with you guys. I am, I am super excited about uh, today. Uh, this is, um, you know, if you weren't here last week, a lot of people, you know, came to like our 12 o'clock service because of the time change and stuff last week. Uh, but um, last week is probably, if I had to choose like my two favorite weekends that we have as a church, one of them is last week, which is, um, you weren't with us, we had a, a, a healing service, which we don't have very often, but we do every so often. And it was an opportunity for us to say, it was, it was one of my, the most beautiful pictures of our church because we had our, our elders and some of other people, on our, volunteers on our staff, on our prayer team up in front. And it turns out those people aren't perfect and they're um, also a work in progress. But they're praying for people who are in need of God's work in their life and they're beginning and initiating this process of healing. We had people respond back to us with, uh, with emails and stories saying, here's what God did and here's how I'm being healed and here's all this stuff happening. And uh, every one of them is emotional and amazing. And some people said, well, I'm not experiencing healing, but just the fact that people would stand with me and pray with me um, has been beautiful. And so it's been, last week was one of my favorite things we, we do. And so if I had to choose, like, ranking them, this would be like a 1A and a 1B, kind of not a first and second place thing. Because this week, if you're with us, last year we, when we did this, it's one of the most energetic weekends we have. It's one of the times where if you're new with us, if you're, you know, you hear someone brought you and said, come check out our church, um, it's one of the times you go, see, we're kind of, this is like, look how fun we are. This is, this, this is that, this is that weekend. It's really, really fun. Very excited about it. As Kim mentioned, it's a, it's an opportunity to talk a little bit about a kind of uh, a radical generosity without strings attached. And I'll explain a little bit that, a little bit what that means as we get into this message. But I'm really excited. I think as we, this is actually sort of a transitional week for us as we switch off between our, our beautiful mess relationship series into our next series called How to Start a Revolution. And this is the way we're going to kick it off with radical generosity. So we'll get into it. Uh, let's, let's pray and um, then we'll, we'll talk about what God wants for us. Let's pray. Father, we have so many things to be grateful for. That even the small things that we're able to have um, and the, the relationships that you've gifted us with are reasons to be grateful. Even when they're in tension, even when they're difficult, even when times are tough, we're st- we still have reason to be grateful. We're grateful that we can come to, um, to worship you this morning. We're grateful that you look at us and your expectation of us is that we would come as we are. That we don't have the um, necessity of trying to pull everything together to come to church, that you receive us. Father, I'm grateful for a church that says, receive people as they would come in and helping them to find you, Jesus. I'm so grateful for that. For a lot of us, Father, today as we walked into this room, our week has been a week of struggle. We've been unable to receive the, great, the gratitude. We've been able to be gracious for even your generous gifts to us because we can't see them. So, Father, just for a moment, as we pause each week just to allow you to speak to us, Father, would you speak to us? reminding us of your incredible generosity to us, that you would receive people who are themselves a work in progress, who are not perfect, and that you hold them as your own children. Would that be the the message you give to us, that we would receive your radical generosity? So just for a moment, would you receive God's gift of radical generosity to you in the stillness? Father, today, would you release us to greater joy, to more enthusiasm, to more gratitude, to more fun. Father, we believe that you intend for us to be the recipients of your gracious gifts. Might we live in that reality. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Um, if you want to follow along, we have a little outline inside your bulletin. You can pull that out. I have to tell you, because of today, I'm, I'm, I probably have more detail on the outline that I'll be able to get totally into today. So I'll, I'm going to go through it kind of quickly. We'll come back to it next week in a different sense. But you'll get that, that picture as we go. Um, so you can pull the outline out if you want to follow along. There'll be scripture on the screen. If you brought your own Bible want to follow along, however you want to do that, great. Um, but, you know, this is, this is just whatever, whatever helps you to kind of follow along, we'll do that. Um, uh, over the past series, we had a series on relationships. If you're new with us, we had, for the past couple weeks, we had a series on relationships, which covered everything from, you know, friendship to, you know, relations like dating, parenting, uh, family, what, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and one of the things, I have, I have all this research I did, and a lot of it I don't know what to do with, but some of the things I was looking at, I was looking at like uh, some of the dating, the way, dating modes of people now and online dating and all this kind of stuff. And so I came across a ton of the questions. One of the things I came across was a bunch of the questions that are, that are asked on online dating surveys. So one of them was, um, as I was just looking at, I was looking at eHarmony. eHarmony has like 800 questions. Some of you have like, you know, been on eHarmony. You've dated, you've, maybe you found someone that you're with or whatever on eHarmony. But I'm um, looking at 800 questions. And they're questions that are like, you know, you know what, are you a dog person or a cat person? Which, you know, obviously, if you're a cat person, they just immediately put a warning sign and stay away from this person. And it's just, you know, they just, you just know. Uh, you're probably going to have to lie on eHarmony for that reason. Uh, but if, um, there, there's also, there was a question about, you know, hey, why don't you self-assess your own personal fit, fitness level? I mean, do you look in the mirror and go, huh, you're, you're welcome, world. <laughs> Here I am. And I'm kind of, <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, you know, I kind of don't mind being a little bit squishy. And, you know, it's all right. I can't, you know, I can't lift heavy things or run far and. I'm okay with that, you know, maybe that's you. Uh, maybe there is, uh, they, they ask a question like, hey, what's your ideal Saturday morning, you know? Do you like to sit around and drink coffee and, you know, watch cartoons? Or are you like, I'm running a marathon and I'm going to, you know, do, I'm swimming to Catalina. That's my, that's my Saturday morning. Um, they ask what your ideal night out is, where you're from, all these different questions. And one of the, one of the things that's interesting, well, there's, there's a set, it's one question, but it's kind of, it's really two questions, but it's basically the same idea. And it's this question. I thought it was a really, really interesting question. It says, what is one thing you must have, something you have to have in a relationship, and what's one thing you absolutely can't stand? One thing you have to have and one thing you can't stand. And the idea behind a, a question like this, which is so polarizing, like it's not just sort of like, what are things that kind of bug you? It's like can't stand, and what are things you have to have? Is that the idea is you're able to kind of unearth some of the real deep convictions that people have. And the premise behind these questions is, if you can't at least get someone on board with, somewhat on board with these questions, then you're probably not a match. If there's a, I have to have this, and you don't also have to have that thing, then probably you're not a, you're not a compatible match. Now, I know this is a little bit, <laughs> a little bit goofy, but I, I, I really started thinking coming out of this, that, this series, I thought, what if, <laughs> what if we kind of asked those same questions of God? If we looked at God and said, I know this is a little goofy, like online dating profile, God, really? Is that what we're doing now? But just bear with me. If in some way or another we could get a sense of what does God say about himself that he says, I absolutely can't stand some things and I absolutely have to have something else. What kind of picture of God would we get? And then secondly would be how aligned with those things do we really want to be? Are we really kind of, when we look at that, how really aligned are we with those things? Would we really want to be connected with them? So here's just a couple, here's a snapshot of some of the things you see in the Bible. There's a lot of these that fall into this category. Here's some of the ones you maybe have seen before, maybe know. Here it is. In Isaiah chapter 1, here's what God says. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and please plead the case of the widow. There's like four people that God is generally in their corner. There's three listed here. You know, so you have the oppressed, the fatherless, 
the widows, and the last one is the foreigners. So you'll see him say those four things are like the things he's always in those people's, those people's corner because these are always the people that are likely to be exploited, particularly in the time in which the Bible is occurring. Secondly, look at this, Proverbs 14. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. James 1.27, religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amos 5, hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. We were talking as a staff not too long ago, we are like, what if we had shirts that said like, you know, Mariner's Church Mission Viejo, hating evil since 2009. It's like, it didn't really go over well, but that was kind of the idea. Anyway, it, <laughs> what do you guys do at your church? We just hate evil wherever we go. That's all we're about. Um, in fact, if you wanted to get a sense of God's real heart for some of this stuff, you, you might want to read Amos, but, you know, kind of hold on to yourself. It's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. Okay, so here's what he says. Keep on going. Verse 21. I hate, I despise. Strong words. Your religious festivals, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, these are the kind of offerings people would bring to the temple when they were worshiping. The Israelite people would bring, the, you know, they would, this is the way they would worship. I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, which we all said, thank God we don't have harps here. Verse 24, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. He says, you have all of the religious pretense, everything everybody can see, and I don't want it if there's not justice. In other words, if you had to figure out the things that God can't stand and the things that he must have, it turns out that God has to have justice. He has to have, that's like his deep passion in his life is justice. And what he can't stand is exploitation or the act of ignoring those in need. Gotta have justice can't stand exploitation. These are the two things. If you had to find a polarizing way to get a profile of who God is, that's it. Can't stand injustice. Gotta have justice. Can't stand exploitation. Can't stand anybody who would ignore the need of those around them. Now, what does that mean? Anytime we want to get a good look at what this, is, what this really means, we have to look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Because we say around here, maybe you've heard this expression before, that Jesus is the answer to the question, what is God like? That when you ask the question, what's God really like, we look at Jesus and go, that's, that's it right there. And so to look at Jesus, we get, a, we get a sense of what this actually means and to look at his ministry. And so this is what, what I want to do. We'll be in Luke chapter 4 for the rest of today. I'm going to check this out. So in Luke chapter 4, here's what's happened so far. Jesus, thus far in his ministry, in his life, he has... Um, he has been dedicated in the temple. He's then, um, he's then wandered. He got baptized by a guy named John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, sometimes referred to as. And then he's also been tempted in the wilderness, the, or tested in the wilderness. And he's proven to be awesome in all those things. And now he starts his earthly ministry. And here's what it looks like. Here's how it goes. It starts first with his ministry throughout sort of teaching and stuff. Here it is, Luke 4, 14. Jesus returned to Galilee, which is his hometown, in the power of the Spirit, in Excuse me. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Now here's what's happening. Jesus has a ministry of teaching. And the way the synagogue worked, just so you know, the synagogue wasn't the original plan for the way people would worship God. Originally they were intended just to simply have the temple. But because they got kicked out of their land 
over the course of several you know, centuries, different, different armies and whatever, the latest one being the Romans. There's the way that people have set up these sort of exterior sort of surrounding learning centers called synagogues, where people would go in, they would learn about God's word. Usually this is something where the men would talk almost exclusively to each other, and then they would learn about God's word and then, you know, learn how to live. And Jesus is going around as an itinerant teacher, hitting all the synagogues in his hometown area in Galilee. And he's going around, and people are like, wow, this guy's got something to say. This is pretty impressive. And there's, he's getting some kind of momentum, kind of this grassroots momentum out in, these, in the countryside. Um, so here's continuing on, verse 16. He went to Nazareth. Now you can see there's a separation here. We'll get to this next week of why there's, Nazareth is in Galilee, but it's separated out as, the, as Luke talks about it, meaning there's a different reaction that happens to Jesus when he, when he shows up in the synagogue in, in Nazareth. But here's what happens. So I'll just, we'll get to that next week, though. Yeah, um, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So he's always going into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That's what he's supposed to do. It's what you do. And he's about to have, so he has this homecoming moment. And he stands up to read. And this is what you have to know. When you read something in the synagogue, you stand up. So you read, and the way it generally would go is people would read, this is a little bit condensed, but you'd read something from the law, which is um, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. We, you know, we, we're reading it right now if you're doing the daily message. But the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, or the Old Testament Bible, which is the, you know, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the Pentateuch or the Torah is what that's called. And then people would do a reading from the prophets, and then more or less, and then they would sit down, and then they would teach. So stand up to read, sit down to teach. So here's kind of what happens. Um, Jesus is about to read something here, and here's what it says. He stood up to read, verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. Now here's what happens. You have to imagine, it's not a Bible like we have where they just flip to a certain page and read it. It's just a long scroll of parchment, sometimes multiple scrolls of parchment. And the scroll of parchment had been placed in front of him, and it's unrolled, and he's, been, he's about to read something in the book of Isaiah. So the scroll of Isaiah is right there, and he's about to read something. Now, what he reads here is, well, first of all, you have to know this. Isaiah is in two big chunks, generally described as two chunks. One is this. The first part of Isaiah, from chapter 1 to chapter 39, is mainly about God's frustration with his own people, which is always kind of you know, nice to know that God's major frustration is generally directed at his own people, not people that aren't, don't belong to his own people, but that's another thing. But he's generally kind of going, you guys, you're losing some stuff. I need you guys to come back home to me. I'm pretty ticked off about it, but I want you to be with me. I'm your God. Nobody else gets to be your God. It's just me. That's chapters 1 through 39, basically. And then the other half of it, from 40 on to chapter 66, the rest of it is about God's promises for what will come. About his, what's the word, the sort of Bible word for this is redemption. The idea of being set free. That there will be this time when everything will be made right. There will be all of this stuff of God that's been promised that you've been holding on to. It's going to happen in the future. And that's everything from Isaiah 40 on to the end of it. So Jesus is handed the, the scroll of, of Isaiah and he reads from that second half. Which, is, which he reads from Isaiah 61. And here's what he reads. Uh, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, or chosen me, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Isaiah's written, depending on how you look at it, between 500 and 800 years before Jesus. And he's reading this passage that everybody in the audience would have gone, oh yeah, I know this passage. I remember this passage. This is, like, this is great stuff. And the language here is unbelievably encouraging. The language here is... There's going to be good news, which the word good news is actually translated the word gospel, or euangelion is the Greek for that, which means where we get words like evangelism or evangelical, you've probably heard those terms. 
but I came with good news or gospel for the poor. There's going to be freedom for the oppressed. There's going to be sight for the blind. There's captives are going to be set free. And the year of the Lord's favor is upon us. Everything there screams in the mind of the people who would have heard this, justice. God's justice. This is what this is about. In, they're all, in, the, in the mind of the people who are hearing this too, they're going, that's going to be great when that gets here. That's going to be so good. I love all of what God intends to do. That is just screaming out justice. And the kinds of things that we see are the kinds of things he'll do when he rescues his people, when he redeems his people. And people knew this passage. The people who would have heard this, who would have been listening, would have gone, oh yeah, this is one we, we know. This is like a big one. We know this passage. And then Jesus, who reads basically a little more than a verse and a half, does this, verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So he reads basically a verse and a half from Isaiah 61. And everyone's like, what, was that it? That's all you got? I mean, like, we got more reading, we got, we're all ready for stuff, and then you're sitting down. And so they sit down for two reasons. One is because he's done reading, which he reads an incredibly short amount of scripture. And the second reason you do that is because you're about to teach people something. So he sits down, and everybody's staring at him. They're gazing at him. Like, it's not just a matter of, like, you know, we're just looking at him. They're really staring at him, is what this says. Fastened on him is what that means. And there's something in this. Because not only is this the world's shortest reading, they're staring at him, looking at him, waiting for his teaching, but there's something missing from what Jesus is supposed to read. They've heard this passage before, and Jesus leaves something out that they're like waiting for, like, uh, uh, and? Oh, is that it? Is that all you got, Jesus? That's all you're saying? Here's, I'll show you what they're, what they're looking for. I'm going to read to you Isaiah 61. This is what they're actually expecting here. This is Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. Notice how much is almost exactly the same. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Same. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release darkness for the prisoners. Pretty much the same. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Same. And the day of vengeance of our God. That's what Jesus didn't include. Now the audience is like, whoa, someone just fell behind me. We're okay. Maybe that's what they said. But they say, <laughs> they go, they, they're looking at Jesus, and he says, the year of the Lord's favor is upon me. And, he's like, and then they're like, and what about the vengeance? We want the vengeance. Because for people who are being held captive, what they want is, you know, now we want the Romans to hear, that we want the Romans who have been holding us, and they're those dogs who oversee us. We can't stand those people. And we really got, we want to deal with those people. We can't wait for God to do it, because we're not powerful enough. And the day of vengeance, we want that. Jesus doesn't read it. Now, it's not to say that God, it's really clear in the Bible, you have over and over again, that God says, let justice be mine. Don't go be, don't go out and try to seek revenge on your own. Let it be mine. But Jesus doesn't read that part, meaning whatever he's going to do as part of his ministry, what he's going to focus on, at least what he's going to initiate right here, what he's about to say is these things, which don't include, for some reason, this vengeance point. Now, he's going to make that point other places, but not here. What I want us to be about, he's saying, is, I want us to be about freedom and joy. I want us to be about captives being set free. I want us to see these things lived out. These are the things I'm really excited about. And they can't handle it because they're like, there has to be another part. The best part you skip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blind receive sight and oppress free. That's all great. But what about that part about the vengeance? Because they deserve it. It's like, have you ever been showing someone a YouTube clip? And you're like super excited about how hilarious it is. It's a cat playing the piano or whatever else it is that you, you know, you're so excited about. And you're showing someone the, the clip. Some of the high school kids are like, yeah, I love that one. Uh, but, you know, there's like, 
There's a moment where you're trying to show someone a clip, and then all of a sudden, well, you get to the, the most critical moment in a video, and then the internet decides to start buffering your download. And you're like, what? and now the whole moment's ruined because the person who's watching it can see the surprise is gone. You look like you're not funny and have a terrible sense of humor. And it's like, no, it's really funny when you watch it. It's all one. Anyways, like you just totally defeated. What's happening here is they're looking at Jesus like you just stopped the video in the middle of the thing. What's going on? And he sits down and then he says the craziest thing ever, which we'll see the reaction of people next week. It's bizarre. He says this. He began by saying, remember, he's, seated, he's in a seated position, which is where you teach from in the synagogue. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Meaning, he says, all of the hopes of Isaiah, all the hopes that Isaiah is writing about, God's words to his people of encouragement about the day when God's rescue plan is happening. It's, been fulf- it's being fulfilled in your hearing. And people were like, so do we stab the Romans right now? Or do we wait a little bit? Or is there a trumpet blast? Or... A tornado or a pillar of fire or does the earth just swallow them up or what do we, like they're kind of going, wait, 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 it's being, it's, it's being fulfilled in your hearing. And he's saying God's mission of justice, God's intention to rescue, God's work in the world has been inaugurated in me and there will be a day when it will be finalized, it will be fully done, where everything will be fully actual, you'll see it all done. But right now that process is initiated. It has begun in me, it is inaugurated in me. So what am I going to be about? Good news for the poor. Hope for the oppressed. Sight for the blind. These are the things what Jesus is going to be about. And he's bringing it in to bear. Jesus' mission is about this reality. This is what he has to have. It means that the people that are connected to him, Jesus spends a number of, a, a, a huge amount of his life recruiting people to follow him. And what he's saying is, guys, if you want to follow me, if you want to be with me, you got to understand. If you're looking at, again, ridiculous dating profile scenario here. But if you're looking at what I have to have and what I can't stand, i got to have justice. I'm all about that. There are other things that I'm about too, but I absolutely have to have justice. There are some things about which my followers have to say, looking at the world, that's just unacceptable. Because that's what I'm about, I have to have that. You know, as we talk about what this looks like in the future, you know, people have this sense. I just want to give you a sense of how I look at this in particular about how God, what God's going to do in the future and what he's doing right now. It's this. You can write this phrase down. You can hold on to it. Uh, it took me a long time to actually figure out how to say this phrase, but it's this. People who follow Jesus are to live in anticipation of God's intended future in the present. Say that again. People who belong to or follow Jesus are to live in anticipation of God's intended future in the present. Meaning, if ultimately God is going to be about these things, we don't simply say, well, we're not going to do anything about it, wait for God to do stuff. What we say is, we get to live in anticipation of that right now. Which means, we paint the picture for how good and how beautiful and how, how generous God is by our own action in anticipation of his generosity and his goodness and his justice in the future. In so doing, we join him in his work in the world, and it is such a beautiful picture of God's work. It is so good. Now, some of you, now, what I would say is this, too. As we talk today, let me get specific here in a second. As we talk today about what this means, there are so many things about which the world looks at the church and says, really, you guys are doing some of that stuff? And they just just go, what are you doing? But there are some things we get to do. That generally, almost universally, people say, that's good. 
I'm not sure, maybe you're in this place, you came here today, you're not sure about Jesus, but you look, you're going to look at some of the stuff that we're about and you're going to go, well, I don't know about Jesus, but I like that they're doing that. They care about people who are at-risk kids, at-risk teens and youth. They care about the homeless. They're working to, to work towards these social justice issues. I like that stuff, and people generally go, that's good. That's good stuff. Some people look at the church and they'll say, they'll look at the church and they'll say, there's a criticism about the church. The church generally just wants my money, you know, because then they can do whatever they want with it. They can, you know, put up a beautiful wall between their worship center, which they just, <laughs> to create the harmony they were hoping for as a worship community. No, I'm just kidding. But there maybe is a sense about it in the church, and I think that fear is warranted. The church doesn't always have the best reputation of being most upfront with money. I told our rooted groups we're meeting this week. I told them this week, I said, hey, you guys, if you are curious, you really aren't sure, you're not sure about us, you don't know what we do with it, I will make, you can see our budget. It is totally, you can look at it and see where our money goes. You can look at it yourself and go, okay, I like that or I don't like that. Now, I want to be fully transparent with you about that stuff. And there is good work that happens inside the church, most definitely. Last week is a perfect example. People are cared for, people are loved. We have this moment where we say, we're going to come together and seek God for healing and we'll do it and see what happens. That's a good example of what the church does together. But there's something else. Those of you who are skeptical, today what we're going to do is we're going to say, what if we took an offering? We just, had a, we just said, what if we gathered some resources here and we said, what if we didn't take a cent of it for internal stuff? I mean, above and beyond, so you guys are already courageously giving. You have the black envelope or the, writing with the, or the envelope with the black writing in there, which is in your bulletin, which is for the work that God does here. And you're already generous in that. And then you would say, and we would say, what if we were generous above and beyond that and said, what, what if we did something in the neighborhood and we actually lived out this anticipation of God's intended future in our communities? What would happen? Oh, the story would be changed. Things would be so much different. Now, some of you would say, well, why don't I just give somewhere else? I want to be generous. I get that idea. I love it. Why don't I just give somewhere else? I could give, you know, out there to a homeless person. I could give to the Red Cross. Whatever. Those are all great things. I want you to understand, first thing is this. Generosity in one place does not exclude generosity in another, in another place. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, what we found is over and over again, in times like right around Thanksgiving, we asked everybody to like shop for some extra groceries and we're going to donate those to some of, the, some of the, the, the programs and resources that we know out in the community that are helping folks kind of find their feet. You know, we had people giving a bunch of stuff then and our general offering went up as well. I firmly believe that generosity begets more generosity. I have seen it over and over again, and I'm always surprised by it, and I should stop being surprised by it. But generosity always begets generosity. You are already generous. And that makes you more capable of being even more generous. Secondly, is, as you think about why would you kind of be participating in what we're going to talk about in a second here is, it enables us to be directed in our effort to be more effective with that money. In other words, we can say, because we're just talking about money, or our service opportunities as well. It enables us to direct all that stuff in one or a few different directions. And here's kind of what this looks like. Um, my, this past week, just to give you, to sum this up, my, my son, is, he's 10 years old. And he's asking me about college. Maybe because, you know, the Pac-12 you know, tournament was on and a certain team won. But anyway, that's a whole other story. UCLA won. Anyways, <coughs> sorry. But um, he's asking about college and, you know, where's he going to, you know, what, where should I go to college? And I'm like, you don't have to, don't panic yet. We're not one of those parents, I don't think. But yes, you know, you want to go to college and that's great. And then he goes, and then what's like, what's a fraternity, Dad? Ten years old. He knows I was in a fraternity. And I wasn't in, like, the Christian fraternity. <laughs> so, like, I'm like, um, well, um, it's a charitable organization started in the 1900s, or 1800s. So I'm trying to figure out how to talk to him about it. 
And how do you explain it to a 10-year-old such that's appropriate? And so I just go, well, you know, buddy, it's like a bunch of guys that get together and we all kind of maybe like pooled our resources, you know, like, and, and we had events. <laughs> you know, stuff we did together. And then, you know, it's like we, we, we would go to, um, we'd go to like football games together and basketball games together and we would order pizza together and it was really cool. We just took all of our, all of our kind of resources and everybody kind of chipped in and then we all did stuff with that for ourselves. It was really cool. And he's like, okay. And he goes, I think I want to do that. I go, well, we'll have a conversation. Maybe, maybe, no, maybe, no. You know, but whatever. <laughs> but I, um, I thought this is actually a great way to, by illustration, a great way of explaining what we're going to do today. Because what if we said, we're going to pool all of our resources, the stuff that we go, we just are so excited about God's graciousness and his generosity to us, that we're going to pool all our resources, and then we're going to not just keep it for ourselves. In fact, we're going to do is we're going to pool all our resources and then send it all out into the community. That's one of the most beautiful things a church could do. And the resources are not just our money. It will be things like our time. It will be our own ability to serve and to join in some of the projects that we have that are going on in the community and in the world. Those are the things that we'll do. It will be our finances, yes, but it will be our labor. It will be our intellectual capacity. It will be our gifts that we have that God's given us, our resources. What if we just said, what? What if we gathered all this stuff and just sent it back out into the community? How cool would that be? What a story to tell. Your friends who came today that you brought, they're like, oh man, this is like a double money weekend. I'm so worried about that. I'm so confused about that. All they're hearing is, and I'm, I've actually done this before. I brought my friend on accident to this particular weekend a couple years ago. And I'm like, whoops, sorry. And he's like, oh my gosh, I love what your church is doing. He's not sure about Jesus. He's like, I love what you guys are doing with this stuff. I'm so, I want to be a part of that. How can I get, and he is like so fired up because it's good. It is the most beautiful picture of the church. It says, I have to have justice and I can't stand exploitation and ignoring I just can't stand it. In 2013, we did this last year. The goal was $500,000 across all four of the Mariners Church campuses. We blasted that. We just blew the doors out that goal. This year, our goal is $750,000 and 19,000 hours of service, which means there's roughly 19,000 people in all of the Mariners Church campuses. It means everybody over the course of the next month gives one hour of service. And now we're looking at, like, what, what would happen in our community if we said, oh, my gosh, we could just unleash this, this, these kind of resources to resort to companies and to groups and to people that are, that are actually, you know, um, partnerships that are actually facilitating this kind of justice they, that are in the community already doing great work. What would happen? It'd be amazing. It'd be the best story to tell about our church. We say often that the beauty of our church is often best expressed outside these walls. Now, we calculated what this would take what this looks like for us to be able to accomplish this. Remember, we get none of this money. This is all going out of the community. This is embarrassing. Just bear with me. If every one of us gave $39.95. For real. But wait, there's more. <laughs> okay, so a couple things. First of all is this. Understand that this isn't just about the money. One of them is, one of the things you have to understand is this is about unleashing a, an army of people to acts of service in the community. And, you know, in the moment you're going to hear about where those go. But here's, I want to give you a note about the money. First is this. For some people, I've heard stories like this from our own church community. There are some people who came up and there came time to give their money. And we do it through a credit card swipe thing on, you know, an iPad or something. They said you know what, I want to give. Real quiet, there's no bragging about it. Just one of the people who was, who was receiving some of the, you know, helping people make the transaction says, the guy says, 
You know, just take the, take the decimal point out. I just want to give 39.95. Whoa. How great that gift has been leavened. But someone else said, hey, I want to give. I only have 30 bucks in my checking account. I can only give about 10 bucks. That is radical generosity. It's someone who says, I so believe in what God is going to do through this. I, I want to I be a part of it. You guys, I don't know what it looks like exactly for you to give. And it isn't specifically about how much you give. It is about how much you receive the generosity from God himself to you in which you go, I want to respond with that. And we believe God is going to do some amazing, amazing stuff. So I want to do this. In a moment, my hair is going to come up. But before we do that, I want you to hear the story of one of our, our partners um, who has received some of the benefit of our service with them. So check this out. moved in in January 2013 here in this complex and I heard that some people would be coming to help us plant a garden and in my mind I imagined they would be putting maybe a couple of flower beds um, I thought maybe they would help us clip some of the trees that we had but I never imagined that they would put six beds of vegetables, full-on vegetables with things we could make salads with and um, things that we could saute and stuff I never heard of and things I've never seen before. They brought, I think, 30 people that day. Us women, the residents came and just stood around feeling shy, looking at everyone and wondering, okay, how's this gonna go? I saw them all get into a group and a circle and they prayed. And um, I remember Denise was there saying something to the effect, um, get out of your comfort zone. I believed that we had to also get out of our comfort zone. When we moved in, we kind of got into ourselves and got in our own schedules and we didn't reach out to each other. So I noticed that as we had to start working together on the garden, um, even the children were getting involved and they were finding little caterpillars and grasshoppers and and getting all excited and they were playing together and then us moms were, um, were working together, getting on our hands and knees and getting to know um, some of the people from Mariners as well. It was a very positive thing and very exciting. I wrote the thank you card because I felt overwhelmed with the generosity of Mariners Church. I see people coming here every month and they take time out of their lives and they're putting themselves into to our lives and we don't they don't even know us they just come here I know they come here to serve Jesus I was inspired by that I thought wow you know they don't have to do this they could just continue on with their lives they could just go to church every Sunday but they they're serving us and um, it's interesting because I used to be on the other side serving others and being on the receiving end, it's, um, it's overwhelming. It's humbling, very humbling. And I definitely feel Christ's love through people's working hands. I'm really grateful, so thank you. Awesome, yes. Hi everyone, uh, it's great to be together on Outreach Weekend. Uh, as we launch the Be Fearless campaign, uh, it's, it's my favorite weekend of the year where we as a church get to unleash 
a no-strings-attached radical generosity into our community and around the world. And as we, as we look at our world today and one of the premises that it operates under, uh, we, see that, we see that it says, if you, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. If you do me a favor, then I'll do you a favor. But I love what Jesus comes in and says, and he says, I want you to give to those that couldn't possibly ever pay you back. He says, give to the orphans, give to the widows, give to the oppressed, give to those that are helpless. He even says, give to your enemies. But he doesn't just say give. He says, give radically and sacrificially. Today, we're gonna introduce a few ways that we get to be radically generous as a church. But my heart's true desire is that today would only be the beginning of a journey where, where you and I uh, begin, begin a, a life of radical generosity that affects every area of our lives. So, what are we gonna do? This is what we're gonna do. <laughs> all four of our, all four of our chur- uh, Mariner's Church campuses, we're gonna give radically with our money above and beyond what we normally give. We are going to serve sacrificially with our time, and then we're gonna share our stories of our experiences. Now for the serving aspect, as Jeff said, there's about 19,000 people that go to all the Mariner's Church campuses. Just imagine if everyone served one hour, at least one hour, and the next month, we can unleash 19,000 hours into the community. Now that would make an amazing impact. And, and we're not gonna, I mean, we're not here just to bless our, partner, our, our, our partner organizations with, with a check, but we wanna, we wanna show up. We wanna help them out and what they're doing. We wanna be a part of it. So when you walk out of those doors, there's gonna be people out there with iPads that are gonna take your information uh, to, give you, uh, to help you sign up to serve for those serve opportunities. Now for the giving aspect, between now and next Sunday, our goal is to raise $750,000 of which 100% of that money is gonna go out to these organizations that are on the front lines. And just in case you guys go all crazy generous on us, we've put, uh, we have a million and a half uh, dollars worth of projects just sitting there waiting. So it's, it's kinda up to us. Uh, but, but I want you guys to know that we have worked tirelessly to vet out these organizations uh, that are doing amazing things both locally and, locally and globally. And, and I want to tell you about some of them. Can we fire up the, the, there it is, the slides. All right, so just to give you a little bit of a breakdown, 60% of what we're going to be doing is local, and 40% of it is going to be global. Next slide. All right. Through the Be Fearless campaign, we get to fund programs to house, feed, and clothe at-risk children and families. We get to provide educational support for at-risk children and teens. And one of these awesome organizations uh, that we get to partner with is Families Forward. And Families Forward not only has an awesome food pantry and and counseling programs for for at-risk families, but they also have 23 long-term transitional homes where families, where at-risk families uh, that are in crisis are given a place to stay and then are helped back to self-sufficiency. 
Just earlier this week, uh, two days ago actually, I went to go get the church mail. And as I picked it up, it was, it was pretty hefty. I was like, wow, that's, that's, what's going on here? So as I was flipping through them, uh, it, it said, from families forward, from families forward, from families forward. And it kept going on and on. And I'm like, I started laughing because I was like, uh, did families forward send us the same letter over and over again? Like, what's going on here, you know? And as I began to open each and every one of those, I started to see that they were handwritten letters by families we were able to help uh, through, the, uh, pa- through this past uh, holiday season. And it was amazing. It was emotional just to read those letters and just how thankful these families were for the, your generosity, for the generosity of this church. And I was proud of this church. I was proud of us. And it was, it was awesome. And through the Be Fearless campaign, we get to do more of that. Next slide. We get to provide free and basic medical care, both locally and globally. We get to fund job training and literacy classes. Next slide. We get to strengthen and support military families. We get to improve foster group homes and homeless shelter living, improve foster group homes and homeless shelter living conditions. And because we're not okay with people living out on the street, we are partnering with the Hospitality House. And I love what the Hospitality House is doing. They, they are gonna be renovating their facility to increase their capacity for, homeless, for, for the homeless to have a place uh, by 80%. And not only do they give food for the homeless and uh, give food to the homeless, uh, hygiene kits, showers, a place for them to leave their stuff, but they, they're also... They're also ha- they also have worship. They also, have, they also present the gospel. And, and they, they're also letting us use their facility in order to bring a more holistic approach to, to our homeless ministry here. Because the goal is, is, to, is to help the homeless uh, get off the street uh, and, and, and to, to be self-sufficient. That, that is the goal. And, fa- and, and Hospitality House, uh, that partnership will help us do that. Next slide. We get to build Christian-based sports programs for at-risk youth, both locally and globally. We get to create sustainable local food supply in Mexico. Next slide. We get to build homes and orphanages in Uganda, Haiti, Kenya, and Mexico. You guys have been part of this. I mean, through your generosity, we've been able to build a life home in Uganda. We've been, this, this campus has been able to uh, sponsor a hun- over 100 uh, Uganda children that, that receive medicine, education, get to, get to go to, uh, get to, go to, to, to school. I said that already. <laughs> another, another partnership that, that, I just, that I just love that we get to be a part of is Mariano Church. And Mariano Church is located in Tijuana, Mexico. And they started out in a video rental store. And the amazing thing is, is they, they began to grow um, and so they, they, raised, they raised a little bit, you know, a little bit of money, just enough to buy a little piece of land and build a church building. Well, just about two years ago, they were growing at such a rate that they had to expand their sanctuary. And when they expanded their sanctuary, in the process, they, they lost two classrooms that they had for their kids. So through B- the Be Fearless campaign, we get to join them in building two new classrooms right next to the church for the kids. 
Now, these are just some of the things we get to do through Be Fearless. And I'm so excited just to see how God uses each and every one of us to further his kingdom through radical generosity. Thank you, guys. Yes. So, just to make this, uh, just so we can demonstrate this, uh, I want to show you what, what it's going to look like out in the patio. What is your name, sir? Uh, Jeff. Jeff. Is that uh, Pastor Jeff or Jeff? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, that. Okay. All right. And um, would you like to give, sir? Yes. All right. How much? All of it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fifteen bucks. <laughs> Here you go. How come it says denied on there? Uh, can yeah. I get a, you got yeah. another card? <laughs> no, uh, please sign here. Okay, my hair saw honey. Okay, all right, is that my credit card? Yeah, that's far Okay, all right. Okay. And uh, here you go. Okay, what's this? You get that? That, it was going to tell you how to serve, and also, because you gave me your name and your information, you're going to get an email that will send you to our How to Be Fearless website that's going to help you uh, sign up to serve. Awesome. So do that, and you get one of these puppies. But wait, there's more? There's more. You get one of these stickers there. Oh, yes. That just right. makes me happy right and there. And then you get another sticker that I want you to go put on our celebration wall when you're walking out. To kind of demonstrate how we're all That's right. participating. That's right. Just stuff. gives us a visual how cool. we're all being generous. Yes. So thank you, guys. That is awesome. All Somebody right. whistled. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. So one of the things you know that we do... Um, Every, every, you know, every week we conclude our service and it's, a, you know, it's not just like, you know, not all churches do this, but we have an opportunity usually to respond with, um, we respond usually with singing and with prayer and people come forward and receive prayer and, you know, that's, we, we believe in that. And so we still want to end our service with a powerful response time. And so I want to do that. So I'm going to bring the band out and we'll kind of start our response time. So they're going to come out um, as they're coming out. Just to let you guys know too, as um, we're kind of, um, oh, band has little uniforms on. Shocking. <laughs> Um, our response time today will look different than just singing. Not that singing is not important and not that it's not valuable because we wouldn't do it if it wasn't. But we're actually going to reframe our response time around what God's calling us to do as a church. And they're going to help us in leading us respond um, in, in doing that as well. So let's do this. First thing is um, why don't you stand up and I'll, I will give you the benediction. Some of you are thinking, great, I can get my kids early. Please know the kids program is anticipating about 10 more minutes worth of stuff. So if you go get them, they're going to look at you like, really? We're about to do the super awesome craft thing, okay? You don't want your kids saying that. All right. So here to this. Every week we do this. We conclude our service. The benediction, this closing prayer, which just means good words is what benediction means. Um, we do it like this. We hold out our hands. It is just simply a posture that says, I receive, God, what you freely give to me. I freely receive it. And I hold nothing in my hands except what you put there. So would you do that? Would you join us? Father God, you see your children. Send us out to do great works. One, two, three, go. Amen. That's it. Go out there. Be happy. Be generous. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next week.